Good to see you guys. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Who can tell me what the subject of Psalm 119 is without asking the person sitting next to them? What's the subject of Psalm 119? Anybody know? Yes, ma'am. Could you remind me of your name? Bertina. Actually, you didn't tell me your name, I don't think. Bertina? That's a beautiful name. All right. Yes, it's the word of God. Did you know that every verse in Psalm 119, with the exception of three or four, depending on who you read, there's a synonym for the word of God. Precepts, commandments, the law, the word. The theme is the word of God. This psalm is broken into different stanzas. Each stanza begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Like we would go through A through Z. They did this in the Hebrew alphabet. And then each stanza would begin with A, the next one B, the next one C, the next one Good job, EBA, very good, all right. And they did that with the the Hebrew alphabet. And so this is a way that maybe they would remember different things about. The stanza we're going to look at today begins in verse 97. And this is a unique stanza because the psalmist is not talking about the people of God. He's not talking about the people of Zion. He's not talking about those that travel to Jerusalem. It's personal. You'll see I and my a lot. And you'll see thee and thy about the Lord. So this is a very personal stanza. And the goal is that you have a personal relationship with the Lord and you appreciate his word on a personal level as well. Not only that, it's personal, but it's also all praise. There's not one prayer request mentioned in this particular stanza. It's all declaration of what God has done through his word for the psalmist. And so it's a special psalm. It's been used by the Lord in my life, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to you as well. All right, let's pray, and then we'll get into the the lesson. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege it is to stand before these young people. I pray that you would enable me to communicate in a way that would go uh, into their ears and into their hearts. I pray that they would appreciate your word more after this lesson than they did coming in. We'll be quick to thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. How many of you like grammar? Two of you. Good. Well, first of all, I appreciate your honesty. Okay. You like grammar? How many of you like grammar? That's grammar's husband. That's a joke. Like grandma, grandpa. So let me just tell you, I'm also a dad. So I got dad jokes. I got a lot of dad jokes. Titus, you didn't like that one? That was a good one. All right. Anyway. So you like, you like grammar. You remember? How many of you take, have taken grammar? You understand how to? Okay. Who can tell me what kind of sentence begins verse 97? Yes, ma'am. Exclamatory sentence. That's exactly right. It's an exclamation. He's not just making a statement. How, what, what is an exclamatory sentence? What, is it, what makes an exclamatory sentence exclamatory and that's not just the exclamation point yes sir very good that's right it shows feeling there's strong passion and the psalmist says oh how love i chocolate no he's talking about loving what god's word do you think he means it absolutely he means it the holy spirit's moving in to record it we know that it's true so we're we're dealing today with someone who loves loves his bible he loves the scriptures 
Now, he has the Hebrew scriptures, or what he had, at least here. But let me ask you a question. You have in your lap more of the Bible than the psalmist did when he wrote this, right? You have the completed revelation. You have, you have it all. But I wonder, do you, do you love your Bible having more of it than the psalmist did when he didn't have as much as we did? It's a good question. But you should love your Bible. You should love God's word. He says this, here's how much he loves it. It is my meditation all the day. Who can tell me what meditation is? Someone have an idea what meditation is? Titus? Thinking deeply about something? That, that's very good. Now, if you listen to some Eastern religions, they'll say meditation is when you empty your mind. You just sit there, you know, with your eyes closed and you, you know, just empty your mind of anything. That's the opposite of what real meditation should be. The Bible meditation is not, not emptying your mind, it's filling your mind. You might say, well, I don't know how to meditate. Well, you probably do. You just don't know it. How many of you have ever worried about something before? You got to t- all of you have worried about something. Congratulations, you know how to meditate, right? Because that's really what worry is. It's constantly going through your mind. The test that's the next day, or whatever it might be. You're you're going through your mind constantly. You're worrying about it. Well, the psalmist said this. Here's how much he loves God's word. That that's what went through his mind all the day. When he woke up, he thought about it. When he went to school, he thought about it for your purposes today. In other words, he kept the word of God in the forefront of his mind. He allowed the word of God to influence his life. Now, all of you have influence. Would you agree with that? But who you allow to influence you and what you allow to influence you is going to determine the quality of your life. It's going to determine your, your, your character. You guys have learned about root words already? right? Okay. Influence is a root word. And if I put an R at the end of that word, that's different than if I end it with D. Influenced is different than influencer, right? So if you are in a situation where there is what the Bible would call evil communications, which would corrupt good manners, right? The bad influences, You don't want that to influence you. You want to be the one who does the influencing. Are you with me? So you want to be an influencer. But you you need to be taught. You need to have influences in your life. So you have to be mature enough and wise enough to allow the right kind of influences in your life. All of us are influenced. All of us. We have to make good choices about what we allow to influence. And the psalmist loves God's word because of the good influence it has in his life. That's why he constantly wants to think about it. What would God want? What would the Lord want me to know? And we know that because of the next section. Not only does he love God's word, he, he tells us that it's a tremendous blessing to him. It is the source of his wisdom. Look at verse 98. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Now, those of you that like grammar, you say, well, What's ever with him, the enemies or his commandments? And the answer is yes. Because Jesus said that we're going to have enemies, right? But what did he also say about his word? His word's going to endure forever. So the good news is you're always going to have God's word. But he says he's wiser than his enemies. How many of you want to be wise in life? Okay, most of you, that's good. Okay, all of you now. Okay, good. 
you want to be wise in life. But I want you to notice this verse very carefully, okay? Because the psalmist, and this is moved, he's moved by the Holy Spirit here, so he's not getting anything wrong. This is exactly right. He does not say, thy commandments have made me wiser than my enemies. He says, thou, through thy commandments, has made me wiser than my enemies. Somebody tell me the difference. What's the difference between your commandments have made me wiser and you, through your commandments, have made me wiser? What's the difference? Yes, ma'am. Very good. God made him wiser, but he, what did he use to make him wiser? He used his word. Now, this may seem to you like, well, what's the difference? It's not really a big deal. Well, it is a big deal. If you heard me preach the other night, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they had God's commandments, but were they wiser? No, because what didn't they have? They didn't have the relationship with God, the author. And I need you young people to understand this, that a personal relationship with God is so important for your life and also to understand that book. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, and we're not going to turn there, okay, but I just want to give you brief testimony of Paul here. He said that he was, if anyone could brag about the flesh, if anyone could talk about how religious they were, it would have been Saul of Tarsus, all right? I mean, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Back then there were different kinds of Jews. We're not going to get into that. But he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But you know what he said? He said, I counted all of that loss. I counted it but dung. And that's not just a, a, a way of saying that it was gross. If you read the book of Leviticus, you'll find out that that was defiling and God wanted it outside the camp. What he was saying was anything I did wasn't worthy of God. Matter of fact, it was defiling. But what, what was the one thing he found that was more valuable than all the religion he had? It was Christ. That's what he says. That's what he wanted to win Christ. And we're not going to go there and, and read about that. But it's like the disciples when they were fishing. Do you remember the story when the disciples caught the, all those fish and it almost sank their boat? Are you familiar with that story? Okay. They catch all that fish. It's going to sink their boat. Now, were they fishing as a hobby or were they fishing for a business? What's that? A business. Yeah, this is what they did. And guess what? They had the best day ever. You imagine how much money they're going to make that day? And they finally get back to the beach, and Jesus says, follow me. And the Bible says this, they forsook it all and followed him. Why did they do that? Because they found in Jesus more value than anything that had just happened back there. The greatest day of their life, business-wise, couldn't compare to the value they found in Jesus. The psalmist understands that about God. He values the, a personal relationship with God. And I hope that you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just your Bible that makes you smart. It's God through the Bible that makes you wise. It's God's Holy Spirit, the author of this book, that's going to make you wise. So thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies. And then we come to the boy's favorite verse in the Bible. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Is that right, gentlemen? Well, I mean, it is what the Bible says, right? I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Now, when you see the word for, it means because. So he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers because I'm thinking about the word of God. All right, now, 
we know what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you don't need teachers, all right? I don't need to be taught. I'm smarter than my teachers. We know it doesn't mean that because who designed teaching and preaching? God did. God's not going to design something that we're not going to need. So what does he mean here? I have more understanding than all my teachers. What he's saying is this. I know more than just what I'm taught to know. There's what I'm taught by my teachers, but I know beyond that. Now, why? Well, he, sa- he tells us in verse 99, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Remember the personal thing we talked about? Now, young people, listen to me, please. You're, you're not too little that you can't do this. You're old enough, you understand things, you can comprehend, you have reason abilities, you, have, you can use your logic, okay? This means that you should be able to open up your Bible on your own and you need to know what it means to hear from God. You need to know what it means to learn from the Bible. And it's not saying teachers are not important. You need teaching and you need preaching. But you also need your own personal devotion time. You also need your own time in the Bible because if all you know is what you're told to know, it's not going to go very well for you. You want convictions. You want to know why you do what you do. You want to know why God tells you to do it. You want to know how to please God. And so the psalmist is saying, Lord, you through your word have made me wiser than my enemies. And through your word, just dwelling on it, I learn more than just what I'm told to know. But not only that, he continues in verse 100 and he says, I understand more than the ancients because... I keep thy precepts. And I like the word because, because it helps me. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And so when I see the word because, I know there's cause and there's effect. Have you guys learned about that yet? You're familiar with that? Okay. Cause and effect. Now, the effect is he has more understanding than those that are older than him, the ancients, the older folks. Now, let's ask quickly, does this mean that we are not to respect our elders? No. What's your name? Noah, okay, of course it doesn't mean that, right? Does it mean that we treat older people like, what do they know? I know more than they do. I have more understanding than all the older people. Of course it doesn't mean that. We should be respectful to those that are older than us. But how many of you ever heard the expression, wow, you're wise beyond your years? You ever heard that before? The ladies are shaking their head yes, and the boys are like, never heard that at all. No, just kidding. One of you shook your head yes. All right. Well, what are they saying? They're saying that as a young person, you're making decisions that usually takes a long time for people to learn. Life experience, but you are applying wisdom. You're making good decisions. You're showing maturity. And if you want to hear or if you want to be wise beyond your years, well, here's your answer. The cause or excuse me, the effect is that he's wiser than those that are older than him, but what's the cause? What caused that to happen? He says in the verse, he keeps God's precepts. Now this word keep means to protect, but it also means to obey. He keeps it close because he, and he doesn't want to lose it. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why are you keeping it in your, why are you keeping it in your heart? Anybody know how to finish the verse? Thy word have I hid in my heart. That's exactly right. I want to protect it because I know I need to obey it. And so a way to be wiser, wise beyond your years, and this is sad. You can read about this in the book of the Kings 
where a young man, young prophet, listens to an older prophet, and he ends up dying because he listened to the older prophet. Now, why did that happen? Well, if you read the story, we're not going to read it right now. It's because the young prophet went against what God said. Now, please listen to me. This, if you get nothing else, get this in your heart today. When man says something different than what God says, man is wrong because God is always right. When man says something different than what God says, man is wrong because God is always right. And so if you want to be wise beyond your years, you want to have more understanding than even those that are older than you, then you commit in your heart, I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to obey his word. And even when someone comes along and they seem like they, you know, oh, they're successful, whatever it might be, if it goes against God's word, you don't do it. You don't do it. And this, caught, this gives the psalmist wisdom. He says here three times, he's wiser than his enemies, he's wiser than his, or excuse me, he has more understanding than his teachers, and he understands more than the ancients. And then he starts giving personal testimony now it's not just what God's word has done for him. Now he wants to tell us what he does with God's word. All right, now look at verse 101. What are the first two words? Verse 102, what are the first three words? All right, if you're saved, you need to learn now and your life right now as you're making decisions that are gonna affect your future you need to figure out the things you are going to do and the things you are not going to do. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, right? So because you have a young man showing good godly character there, he's saying, there are certain things I'm not gonna do. But he does it with God's word. The psalmist does it with God's word. Look what he says here. Here's what I'm going to do. He says, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I am gonna make sure that what I do is stay away from anything that would make me disobey God's word. You talk about loyalty to the Lord. This is a, this is a huge deal. This is a big deal. I have refrained my feet from every evil way. Why? Why, do you, why are you choosing to stay away from those things? because I don't want to disobey God. So I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going to hang with them. I'm not going to do that, do this, go there. Why? Because I don't want to disobey God. There's a personal relationship that he cares about. And that relationship is influencing him. And he says in verse 102, I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. You are going to be tempted to depart from God's judgments. It will happen. There will, people will come into your life and they will be used by the devil to tempt you to depart from what you know to be right, from what you know to be true. But if you've already done what the psalmist has determined and says, but I'm not gonna do that. I've not departed, I'm not going to depart. But here's the question. What's the big deal? It's just some words on a page. It's just some principles. It's just some things they teach at church. Well, he says what the big deal is at the end of the verse. He says, for thou hast taught me. That's why it's a big deal. He says to the Lord, because this is a prayer, he says, I'm not going to depart from your word because you are the one that taught me. You're the one that gave it to me. Now, when I was growing up 
if you came to our house and visited us, you walk into the house and my mom decorated the house nicely. We had nice furniture and I was glad to grow up in a nice home. But my mom had something called a hutch. Is that still a thing? You guys have? Okay. And in the hutch was things my grandmother passed down, like really nice dishes and china. And so there was some crystal in there and there were some old like tea sets and things like that. And then on the bottom shelf, there was the most hideous looking plate you've ever seen in your life. And I'm not exaggerating. It was made of plastic. And on the plastic plate, there was a handprint that I had traced as a six-year-old. And I colored it in so it looked like a turkey. Now, it didn't really look like a turkey. It was supposed to look like a turkey. And in really poor handwriting, it said, Happy Thanksgiving, Mom, I love you. And then the date that I gave it to her. Now, I, for the life of me growing up, thought, why is that in there? I mean, it, it's, it, it is. I, I, I thought as I got older, it makes sense that my mom's keeping it there because if she ever tried to use it, whoever was served food on that plate couldn't eat. They would get sick to their stomach. I mean, it was, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. It was a hideous looking plate. Browns and greens and yeah, it was bad. Anyway, so here's my question. Why did my mom have it there? Well, she didn't have it there because it looked so nice. She had it there because her son made it for her. Does that make sense? If you go into my office today, I have on the top shelf of my library bookshelf, I have a painting of a, of a World War II aircraft engine. And at the bottom corner, it's signed Penny Fryman. That's my mom's name. My mom's a painter. She's an artist. And she painted, she knows I like aviation, and she painted that for me. And it's special to me. It matters to me. It's on the top shelf so that no, the kids get their grubby little hands on it, all right? And um, that was a joke. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against children. Anyway, uh, back to the lesson. There are things that you might have in your life that, that are special to you. And it's not that it's special because of the thing itself. It's special because of who gave it to you. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, there's no way I'm leaving your judgments, because you're the one that taught them to me. You see the importance of a personal relationship with the Lord? When you have a personal relationship with the Lord, what he gives you means something to you. It's valuable to you. And now, to turn your back on the scriptures, it's not just walking away from people. It's, I don't want to walk away from God. He's been too good to me. I love him too much. And the psalmist says this, I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. And then he says this in verse 103. I love this verse. How sweet are thy words unto my taste. And here's another exclamatory sentence, right? With passion. It's got emotion behind it. I love the word of God. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, it's true that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you hide God's word in your heart, you'll speak right. But this isn't talking about speaking well and being pleased with how you talk. It's talking about receiving God's word. Have you ever eaten something like, oh, I don't like that? That ever happened to you? Okay. It has, what was it? <laughs> yeah. what, what was that thing I didn't like? Okay. Anyway, apparently it wasn't that bad, but um, you, you, you know what that's like. But then have you ever tasted something like, oh, man, I love this. 
right? How many of you have ever had, we, we talked about this at youth camp, speaking of youth camp. You've had ice cream before? How many times have you had ice cream? More than once? Yeah, you went back to it again? Because you like it, right? This is deep stuff, isn't it? You eat more of the things that you like. Write that down. That's really deep. And this is really deep theology today. Well, the psalmist said that about God's word. He said, when I read your word, when I hear preaching, when I hear teaching from your word, I just receive it in and I love it. I love it. It just, it's so good to my taste. Now we might ask the question, well, yeah, that makes sense. Who wouldn't want honey? Who wouldn't want God's word? Well, the Bible tells us in a proverb that there are people that actually wouldn't even want honey. Take your Bible, go over to Proverbs 27. Let's look at a proverb found in verse 7. Proverbs 27, verse 7. Not too far away. Proverbs 27, verse 7. The full soul loatheth. What does loatheth mean? <laughs> I just, what's your name? Marianne just gave me a visual of what loatheth mean, all right? And it means this, apparently, all right? Someone give me a verbal definition of loatheth, or, or what, what you think it is, yes. Yeah, th- yeah, it's a little more strong, it's a little more strong than that, yes, ma'am. Hate. Hate, that's right. The full soul loatheth, it looks, thinks little of, despises a honeycomb. You say, well, why would you... Not want dessert. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? Well, it says why, because they're full, right? Have you ever been at a meal and you've eaten so much that you've said this phrase, I can't eat another bite? You ever said that before? All right. I say it very rarely, but I say it, all right? Anyway, and then you eat and then someone brings out dessert and you're like, oh man, that looks so good. I love cheesecake or I love cake, whatever it is. But I can't eat another bite. So why don't you wrap that up and I'll take it home and I'll eat it in about an hour. All right? Well, what happens? Well, it means that you can put something in front of you that you like or that you even need, but you can't take it because you're just so full. Well, when you read the psalmist and says, man, I receive God's word, it's like honey to my mouth. And then you read the proverb that says, a full soul loathe of honeycomb. You start finding out why people don't like the word of God or they don't read the word of God like they're supposed to, it's because they're full already. They've already taken in other things. There's already other things that have taken up their time, but specifically your mind and your heart, you're, you're being fed from other sources. And you, I'm telling you, please listen. You better be careful what you feed on. You better be careful what you receive into your life. Because what you don't want is to fill up on the junk of this world and then come to church or come to chapel or go to your devotions and be so full of all the junk that you almost don't have time for the Bible. That it's, a, it's difficult to read it. Or that your mind is wandering when pastor is preaching. Or whoever is up there trying to instruct you. You don't want to be like that. You want to make good decisions You want to say, listen, I know that I'm supposed to be eating at 7 o'clock, so I'm not going to eat at 5 o'clock, right? I don't want to be full when it's time for supper. But you're old enough. You you, you don't need parents to teach this stuff to you. You, You're old enough to make these decisions on your own and say, I don't want to fill up my mind and fill up my heart and fill up my thought life, fill up my 
my imaginations. I don't want to fill up my, my me. I don't want to fill up my, my mind, my thoughts with things that I shouldn't be filling it up with. I want to make sure I have room for the honey. I want to make sure I have room for God's word. It's tragic that some don't view God's word like the psalmist where he says, it's like honey, it's, it's, uh, it's sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And I believe the reason is because they're too filled up with stuff they shouldn't be filled up with. It's that simple. So don't be like that. And then la- the last verse, verse 104. Through thy precepts, I get understanding. And that's important. You want understanding. Um, I've given this illustration and it didn't really happen. And I'm telling you that now because I didn't say that the first time I used this illustration and half the people thought that it happened to my daughter and they were distracted by what she must have been going through as a four-year-old. It's just an illustration. It didn't happen, okay? But let's say that my daughter, she's 13 now. She was a little girl. And little four-year-old girl, she comes in and my wife, Jen, says to Molly, don't touch the iron It's hot. Molly now has knowledge. The iron is hot. But she thinks in her little four-year-old mind, well, a lot of things are hot. It's hot when we go outside to play. My mashed potatoes are hot when I eat them, and I don't want cold mashed potatoes. I want hot mashed potatoes. And so the iron is hot, and so she has a reference point. The iron is hot. That's knowledge. But then she walks over. She takes her little hand, and she puts it on the iron. Now she has understanding. Oh, that's what the iron and hot means. And it's a different hot than the other hots that I've been introduced to in my young life. But then she walks back into the room in two weeks. And she sees that iron with the orange light on, on top of that little metal table that's teetering on two very thin legs, And she decides to walk on the other side of the room away from the iron. That's wisdom. Wisdom is applying your understanding. Wisdom is applying what you know. Now I understand it. I have it. But now I'm going to apply it. I'm going to use it in my life. That's why wisdom is the principal thing. That's why Proverbs is filled with instruction on getting wisdom. And when you understand life like you're supposed to, You'll make decisions like you're supposed to. And that's what leads us to this very interesting ending to a psalm. Because it ends with this phrase, I hate every false way. Now, here's why that interests me. Because how did we start the psalm, this this stanza? How did we start this stanza? With what? I love. Man, I love thy law. How do you start with love and end with hate? That doesn't seem like a very good progression there, right? Seems like it should be the other way around. Don't we want to end with love? Well, here's the, here's the reality. A Christian should be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Is that fair? It means that you're going to have to be able to do more than one thing at a time as a believer. And the psalmist here does love God's word, but at the same time he loves God's word, he hates every false way. And please get this in your heart. When you love like you should, you'll hate like you should. 
This word hate means to think very little of, to despise. I despise every false way. How many of you are familiar with a shepherd and sheep and a flock? You familiar with this picture? Okay. I used this the other day in my preaching. We'll go into a little bit more detail. And I have to, do I have till quarter after? Okay, all right. We'll try to, we'll try to hit for quarter after, all right? No, okay, very good, very good. Just one of these things, all right, yeah. All right, so picture with me that, how many of you have ever been to Ireland before? You've been to Ireland? Oh, okay. Close enough, I guess. Yeah, vi- vicariously there, okay. Yes, sir. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Did they bring back pictures? No. Okay, well, that's all right. All right, now I'm going to go past quarter after. All right, anyway. So let's say that you go to Ireland. You've seen pictures, right? Those, like, just beautifully green hillsides. And then uh, the sheep that are out there. They still do this today, and there's guys out there. What, what do you suppose would happen if you're in a little tour group and you walk, and all of a sudden you see this beautiful scene, very, very, very peaceful and there's a shepherd out there, and you're like, oh, this is, this is so beautiful. And I, I know that wolves aren't native to Ireland, but it's my illustration, so I get to say what I want, okay? It's just, just stay with me, all right? You're looking out there, and you're seeing the sheep against the green, lush grass, and you see the shepherd there, and you get your, your camera out, and you just go to zoom in. All of a sudden, you see the shepherd bring a rifle out, and he aims over at the tree line, and you quickly look over, and all of a sudden, you see a wolf running, and the guy fires, and you see a wolf tumble across the hill. And you say, oh, what a horrible shepherd. And then someone in your group says, how could he do that? I thought, I thought shepherds loved animals. You say, well, he, he does. He loves the sheep, right? Because if you love your sheep, you're going to hate anything that might hurt the sheep. I imagine if you had someone break into your home, One of your parents would probably do what they had to do to, how do I say this politically correct? Eliminate the threat. Would that be a fair way to say it? Okay. Yeah. In in North Dakota, home break-ins are very rare. And the reason for that is because gun ownership is very popular. And uh, it would be a very unwise thing to break into a house in North Dakota. You're probably not walking out alive. But anyway... And I don't know what it is like here, but anyway, let's get back to the illustration, all right? The point is this. You probably have already put it together. When you love something, you want to protect it, right? So it's not that the shepherd hates wolves. It's that he loves the sheep. This is like a pastor in a church. He loves truth. He loves God's people. And so sometimes a pastor has to make decisions that protect God's people and protect God's truth. And on the outside, it might look, wait, why would he do that? I thought that he was, you know, supposed to be nice to everybody. And all that. Well, sometimes you have to protect the truth. You have to protect the, the people of God. Are, are you with me? Well, guess what? You are now mature enough to start making those decisions yourself. Where you have been given things by God that are valuable and you have to protect them. Your purity your thought life, your friendships, your relationships at church, your relationships in your family. And you are to love truth. You are to love righteousness. You're to love 
God and his word so much that you would hate anything that would harm any of those things. Anything that might damage or hurt, you're going to say, I hate every false way. This is the psalmist saying this. This is the response. This is the result of a person who has a personal relationship with God. And because of his personal relationship with God, he has a close relationship with his Bible. Now, as I said at the beginning, you have more Bible than the psalmist did. So the question is this. Do we love God's law more if we have more of it? It's a good question, right? I can't answer that question for you, but you can. But I am willing to say that how much you love your Bible and how much you're willing to obey your Bible is directly associated with whether or not you have a personal relationship with the author. And I hope that you do. If you don't, I know there's people that can help you understand how to have a personal relationship with God, have your sins forgiven, and have a right relationship with the Lord. But if you do, if you say, Pastor Fryman, I, I know that I'm saved, I know I'm a Christian, well, you have a very valuable gift on your lap and I hope, I hope that you view it like the psalmist did. That you meditate on it every day. You receive it like dessert. You receive it like sweetness in your mouth. And that you don't let anything into your life that would cause you to compromise or disobey what it says. All right? Simple. And we're already done. How about that? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these young people. Thank you, Lord, for the the potential that is here. And I know that that word gets overused a lot, but Father, each one of these young men, young women have a future that can be used for your glory, for the church's good, for their good. I pray you'd protect them. I pray that you would give them the maturity they need, the wisdom and the discernment they need to make right decisions in light of what your word instructs them. I pray you'd protect the teachers that teach them I pray that you'd bless the school, those that are not just part of EBA, but also those that are homeschooled. We pray that you'd bless these students. We ask this in Jesus' name.